even in the simple moments of everyday life. A lot can be going on that we don't ever notice. But if we'll take the time, the everyday becomes extraordinary as we lean in and look closer. Well, I want to welcome you if uh, you are joining us in this room or online, wherever you are, welcome to Christ the King Church. Again, my name is Brian Steele. I'm one of the pastors for adults here. And all summer, we're looking at the parables of Jesus. We're looking closer at what his uh, teachings were in these little stories. And today, we're looking at a parable that Jesus taught about our craving for more that insatiable appetite that we have sometimes that always is crying out. So first thing to share with you a story that uh, I'm actually a little bit ashamed of, but it's a personal story. And uh, a few years ago, I became a bird watcher. Now I'm not ashamed of being a bird watcher. Any other bird watchers in this room, anybody? Yes, okay, I'm not alone. Okay, that's good, that's a good thing. But uh, it's a constant chase for more if you're a bird watcher, right? There's always the next bird, and you're trying to find the bird that you've never seen before in your life, and there's a little bit of a rush when you see that new bird. So I have my binoculars and my app, and I'm always going out. In 2016, though, well, now listen, birding is normally innocent and fun, but there is a dark underbelly to their bird-watching world. Okay, 2016, my wife Katie and I were going to dinner and we were in a parking lot and all of a sudden some birds start attacking her and pecking her head and, and what do I do? I bravely jump to her rescue? No, I bravely stand back and try to identify those birds. <laughs> so I'm like, hmm, kind of European starling, but not quite. And she's like, ah! And I'm like, oh, but it could be red-winged blackbird. No, it doesn't have the red on the... Yeah! And I was like, oh, it's a brewer's blackbird. And I was so happy because I hadn't racked that bird before. But my wife was not super happy. Now listen, this is the part, honestly, like, I still cringe when I think about this. She was recovering from brain surgery. I know, like, so... We laugh about it now, but we weren't laughing about it then. And, but listen, Brian the bird watcher wanted more. Brian the husband lost out on most in that moment. So we do actually, we do laugh about it now, but it wasn't funny at the time. But in today's parable, we're talking about a rich fool, and Jesus wants us to be on alert about anything that feeds into this insatiable appetite for more. And this applies to everybody in this room, including myself, no matter if you have a lot or if you have a little. So let's begin by reading Luke 12. We're going to pick up the parable starting in verse 15. We'll read it once through, and then we're going to look closer at each of the sections. Starting in verse 15, Jesus said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance 
of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he says, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all of my grain and my goods. And, and I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich to God. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you for your presence here right now in this moment. And I thank you that you are with each person, even if they're in far away or they're watching online, they're in their car, they're in their living room, that Lord, this is holy ground because you are present. Would you help us to clear away everything that we're bringing into this moment except for the voice that you are speaking to us? Lord, what are you saying to us? Help us hear and help us follow you this day. I pray in Jesus' name, and we all said together, amen. Well, let's start by looking closer at the teaching and, and seeing first that there's a warning before Jesus tells the parable. He tells us to be on guard against all covetousness. Now, covetousness, it's that strong craving for more. It's no matter how much you have, it's never enough. And, and Jesus said that, that humans are capable of all kinds of covetousness. Like there's a variety of cravings out there. So I, was, uh, I mentioned before that bird watching, of all things, was a temptation to crave more for me. But I was curious about the different kinds that were out there. And so here's what I found. I want to show you a picture. This is Brett Martin who has the largest collection of video game memorabilia. I think he is outdone by Barry Chappelle, who has the world's largest lump of, wait for it, already been chewed nicotine gum. <laughs> and I love that it's not just any gum, but it's nicotine gum. And this, this ball of gum weighs 175 pounds. Now, I know there's one person in the world out there that has a ball of gum that's only 100 pounds, and he's going, I want that, right? You know what's happening. But I think they're all outdone by Graham Barker who has the world's largest collection of belly button lint that he has harvested, thank you, Lord, from his own belly button. But since 1984, he's been building his collection. Now listen, being a collector is by itself is not bad, but we all know how easy it is to cross the line from hobby to obsession. And while my wife was getting attacked in the parking lot, I had crossed the line. 
By the way, there's two Pastor Bryans here at Christ the King Church. There's Pastor Brian Barons, and I'm Pastor Brian Steele, and sometimes we get confused, but I'm going to eliminate all the confusion once for all. Brian Barons is the one that shows you pictures of his adorable kids and family, right? The heads are nodding, yeah. Pastor Brian Steele shows you pictures of belly button lint. Okay, that settles it. We're good. We will never be confused again. But listen, the point is this. There's all kinds of covetousness that we need to be on guard for. Anything can become more important than God. And typically, we have the warning against the big three when it comes to covetousness, and that's usually money, sex, and power. And these three are usually lurking underneath almost every war, every divorce, every shattered friendship, every lawsuit, somewhere underneath they're operating in the background. But granted, most of us are not actually murderers, but the Bible is clear that coveting is not a minor sin. It's included in the major league sins alongside adultery and murder in the Ten Commandments. Coveting, normally, coveting starts, it begins when we see what other people have and we go, oh, I would like some of that. So I'd love to have that paycheck or that boat or that career or that purse or that AC unit. Anybody? Anybody? <laughs> Tell you what, last night, me and my wife were coveting some AC unit. But we need to be on alert because coveting operates under the radar, usually. It's the wolf in sheep's clothing. It can take good, healthy desires and twist them and bend them and corrupt them towards an evil end. In the movies, the most dangerous villains are the ones who are not obviously evil, but they may even be likable. We have a subtle yet destructive craving for more, anything more. It practically doesn't matter. So we have to be on guard from everything from food to recognition to trophies or even like belly button lint for crying out loud. Really? Come on, humanity. <laughs> but we're all in it. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a little inventory of your life right now. What is it that you are craving more of? The Holy Spirit right now might be tapping you on the shoulder. What is it that you're craving? I want you to take a mental note of that because we're going to come back to it a little bit later in the message. But after Jesus sets up the parable with his warning, then in verse 16, he says this, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And when you look closer at scripture, you have to look through the eyes of the original audience because the original culture matters. Like for us, if somebody is talking about a tree in December, immediately we think what? 
Christmas tree, right? You see the lights, you see like the presents, you can even smell the, the pine. That's because our culture, we have an instant association. Well, in the culture of Jesus in his day, his original Jewish audience, when Jesus talked about the land, they would have immediately thought of the promised land. That territory that God had promised 2,000 years earlier to their forefather, Abraham. We're going to read a passage in Genesis 12 that talks about this promised land, but first you need to know that, that Abraham was living in the land of Ur at the time, which is modern-day Iraq, and at that time it was flourishing, it was top of the game. Think like, think like Las Vegas, which Vegas is the land of more. Right? You can get more of any craving that you want. And Abraham was living in a land of more. But in verse 1 of Genesis 12, the Lord said to Abraham or to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And the reason God promised Abraham this land was so that his people could enjoy the fullness of a loving relationship with him. And from that love, the blessing in that land would overflow eventually to the rest of the world. They were blessed in the land in order to be a blessing. The land where God dwells with his people is the place of most, not just a place of more. See, God wants the most for his people, not just more. And he's giving himself to, to his people. And so when God gives you God, that's the most you can get. What more do you want? God is giving us God. But living with God brings the most peace, the most satisfaction, the most meaning, and the most purpose, even when the circumstances of your life are the worst. And listen, I know for some of you right now, you are living in the worst. We're not trying to paper over that. God wants to meet you right where you are. So this land that Jesus mentions in the parable, it is the place where people would enjoy not just more, but most. But that bounty was never intended solely just for one person's sake. God always intends his goodness to be shared. So I want you to notice, we're going to take a look at a passage in Deuteronomy 28, and I want you to notice how the word barns and the land are connecting directly to this parable that Jesus taught. It's intentional. He did this on purpose. So Deuteronomy 28, verse 8, this is important context for the parable we're looking at. It says this, The Lord will command the blessing on you and in your barns, and in all that you undertake, and he will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Well, my great uncle Jerry, he is a spiritual giant. He's led, he's led a prayer covenant movement that's gone global. He's had a massive influence 
in my life. And Uncle Jerry says this, when relationships are right, the blessings are many. When relationships are right, the blessings are many. And you know this in your life. Even if your life is, is difficult, even if, say, maybe you have health troubles or financial difficulties, when your relationships are right, there's goodness that's moving in and through your life. Goodness comes through good relationships. Now, let's take that one step further beyond human relationships. That all of the goodness in your life comes from the God who loves you. All of the goodness and all of the created cosmic order comes from the God who loves you. God's goodness is abundant, even right now. In this room, at this time, his goodness is holding you. It's surrounding you. It's washing over you. Take just a moment. You might even be able to sense it right now. Even in your worst circumstances. But if we want to experience the very most in life, we need to live in a place of loving union with God. Anything short of that, we're just on this endless hamster wheel of craving more and more and more and more, and we still feel empty. So in the parable, Jesus is setting up this contrast between the loving, good, generous God that's making the land produce plentifully and this fool who's wanting to hoard it and keep it for himself. We pick up the parable again in verse 17. So the land had produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I'll do this. Light bulb, right, goes on. I'm going to tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I'll store all of my grains and my goods. And, and I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Did you hear it? The I and the my those are the subtle, reasonable-sounding words of craving more. The rich man says, I or my, ten different times in this short, teeny little parable. His whole world is small, and it's focused on himself. He believes he's living large, but he's really only living small. Remember, Abraham, Abraham was told to leave Ur, that place of more. But then God told Abraham, isn't this interesting? Leave your country, your kindred, your father's house. Because the point is this, God is offering most when we're merely only striving for more. Eugène Bernard was a brilliant Swiss artist who I think perfectly captured the person in this parable. Take a look. This is haunting. This is haunting for me. 
Look at his eyes. He has everything in the world. His sacks are filled with gold, and he's not an arch villain. He's a farmer. He's not Thanos, but he is miserable. And notice also how he's not looking down at what he has, but he's looking out because he craves more. And when you want more, you never look at what you have. You're always looking out for what you don't have. Friends, that was a picture of your own heart. Because somewhere in there, that rich fool has a room inside your very own soul, and he's whispering more. I want more. But he doesn't sound like his villain. He has a subtle voice. He's telling you actually what you want to hear. His voice is reasonable. Wouldn't you like some more? I know that you got the iPhone 11 a couple weeks ago, but the iPhone 12 is coming out next month. And you can do way more with the iPhone 12 than you can with the 11. And just think how productive you could be. And you know what? You also deserve it. Has, any, has that happened to anybody before? Like you get the phone and then it's seriously like a month later, the new one comes out and you're like, great. I could have had that one, but I got this one. The voice of this fool is, it's even kind. He'll say, you deserve it. You earned it. You're worth it. You've heard that voice a thousand times. You might even be hearing it right now. Jesus said we need to be on guard against covetousness precisely because that voice doesn't come with like screams and flames and pitchforks and little horns, but with a soft, reasonable voice asking the question, don't you want more? One of my friends recently posted something on Facebook that I think is just profound. It speaks to this exact thing. She gave me permission to share this with you. She said, this was her post on Facebook. I don't know what I want or need, but I want or need something. That's the voice of that miserable man inside of her saying, I want more. She'd recently got a brand new house. She was recently promoted to a new job at an executive level. But the craving that we have isn't for a house or for a job. The craving of covetousness is a craving for more. The rich fool had been whispering inside of her, and when my my friend got everything she thought she wanted, that fool was still crying more. My friend also pointed out something super interesting. This is, this is cool. It's interesting. You might know this. Infants, uh, they can learn sign language before they can learn spoken language. And so, um, what's this mean? More, right? One of the first 
communications that a human being can make. Could you all do this just because, right? I actually want to see what that looks like with everybody doing this, right? This is, this is our culture. No, keep doing that. Look around. This is our culture. This is who we are. This is our world. When you're on Facebook, I want you to picture people like this. I want more likes. I need more of those little hearts on Instagram. It's a, we want more. And sometimes it's a panicked thing, but this is who we are. And listen, an infant isn't evil and a craving for milk, right? That's, there's nothing wrong with that. But when this drives our life, we're headed for danger. When we never stop signaling this, Jesus says, look out. You might have a friend that's constantly needy and is always signaling to you, I need more, I want more, I need more, and I want more. And if you don't have that friend, it's possible that you are that friend. <laughs> Not saying. Remember that drawing of the rich fool. He doesn't want what he has, he wants more. The question is, how much does his gentle voice command your life? The fool always makes a massive mistake. He thinks that the abundant goods belongs to him and him alone. Nothing that you have belongs to you and you alone. All of it belongs to God. It's been entrusted to you for you to enjoy and use as a blessing to other people. Like your money isn't yours, your house isn't yours, your car isn't yours. It's a blessing that God has entrusted to you and you get to say, Lord, how can I use this to be a blessing to others? The rich fool, he was trying to hoard the blessing that was intended to overflow to others and and God never wants us to be a container of abundance he wants us to be a conduit of abundance but also where was his gratitude where was he just saying thanks thank you for this plentiful harvest where was his worship saying, Lord, you're so great. Look at what you can do. Where was his generosity? When your life is filled with I or me or my, there is no room for you or yours or thy. A life focused only on I, me, and my is the life of a fool. And that brings us to the place of greatest squirming in this parable, I think. Verse 20, God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? And Jesus is using very strong language. He's being extremely direct. Fool is not a nice word. And he's pointing at each one of us. He's pointing at me. The fool lives for more but loses everything. God is offering the fool a life of most, but God rejects most for more and ends up with nothing. 
He loses everything he had on earth, plus he lost everything he could have had in heaven. It's tragic. See, the fool, he had wisdom for earthly pursuits. He knew how to build. He knew how to plan and budget and harvest and build. And, and none of those things are wrong. Like, this isn't a message about don't have a retirement account. It's not about the retirement account. Again, it's about that room inside your heart and who is occupying that room. But earthly wisdom that neglects God's fullness is foolishness. Jesus said, this night your soul will be required of you. In that moment, he's using the language of a financial loan that's being called and payment in full is being demanded. And one day God will call the loan back and we will give an account for how we tended our soul. God will demand it back and ask to see what we've done with it. And for this rich fool, it happened suddenly. It was this night. When you take your last breath, everything that you hold as valuable will instantly disappear if you've only been chasing your cravings for more. Revelation 18, 16, it's an amazing picture of this on a large scale. It says, alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, for in a single hour, all of this wealth has been laid to waste. Friends, never count on years when you may only have hours. Never count on years when you may only have hours. Bernanda also drew this picture of the rich fool on this night when he suddenly breathed his last breath. Isn't this terrifying? It's haunting. Look at the darkness that's surrounding him. Isn't this one of your greatest fears, like dying alone and miserable? Did it take weeks or months for the people around him to notice that he was gone, or did people even care that he was gone? Is that how you want your life to end? Matthew 16, 26, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? So at the beginning of the message, I ask you to take a mental note of the object of your covetous craving for more. And it could be money or sex or power, but, but it could also be a desire for more knowledge, more friends, more personal freedom, more safety and security. What, what is the more that is keeping you from most right now? Don't ignore that. 
if you're feeling a tension right now, I want you to know that you have hope. That pit in your stomach is a gift from God telling you there's a problem and that you need help and you know it. God wants the fool living in your heart to die this day. Because when you stop following the voice of the fool crying more, you can start to follow the voice of your loving God who is offering you most. The parable ends in verse 21. Jesus says, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And the point is this, if you want to be set free from more, that comes when we receive the most as we are rich towards God. And so let's look a little closer. What does that mean to be rich towards God? Because that's how we avoid the fate of the fool. When we direct our riches to God, we starve the fool that's living inside of our soul. We're rich to God when we pass on his goodness to others and not just hoard it for ourselves. And I need to tell you a story uh, about the two best Father's Day presents I've ever gotten. Last week was Father's Day, so I'm still riding the Father's Day train. It's cool. I think it lasts for a month. Is that right? I don't know. I'm riding it still. But my son Kai, when he was little, when he was like six or seven, he said, Dad, I really want to get you a Father's Day present. And I'm like, oh, my heart is just melting. And he goes, so can I have 20 bucks? <laughs> and I'm like, sure, kid. Here you go. So he takes the money. He arranges a, a ride. Somebody takes him to the mall. He does his shopping. He comes back. He gives me a belt. I had given him everything that he had but he was rich towards me because he returned to me a gift in love and he took time and he was intentional about it. I gave him 20 bucks, but he was rich towards me. The second favorite Father's Day gift that I've ever had is actually a belt that I'm wearing right now that Kai, he's now in his 20s and he made this belt for me. He hand stitched it. He cut the leather. He took time over weeks to work it and to stain it and to assemble it. And I can't show it to you because it's black and my wife would be horrified that I'm wearing it with brown shoes. But <laughs> anybody out there, guys, have the same struggle? <laughs> Can we change that right now? Can we just say it's okay to wear a black belt with brown shoes? Anybody? Yeah! All right. It's officially cool now. <laughs> but what if Kai took the $20 that I gave him and came back to me and said, Dad, I put it in a retirement account and I'm saving it up for myself for when I retire, which would be a smart move, right? That thing would accrue compound interest. But how would I feel? Or what if Kai came back? What if he said, hmm, what should I do with my money? How can I spend this on me? And he came back with a pocket full of empty candy wrappers. 
Proverbs 3, 9 through 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your produce, and then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. And speaking of bursting, last year the CTK farm produced over 100,000 pounds of fresh vegetables. Can we just give some of that? was harvested by hundreds of volunteers sent to food banks all over the county. But listen, the owner of that land said this, what can I do with what's been entrusted to me? And he was rich towards God. And it's brought amazing blessing to this whole community. That's being rich towards God. Like, I want you to think with what God can do with what he's entrusted to you. Whether you have a little bit or a lot, what has God entrusted to you that you can partner with him to bring goodness to the people that are around you? That's being rich towards God. Now, the owner of the land of the CTK farm could have said, what should I do with my vegetables? And Mac, I'm picturing like a mountain of 100,000 pounds of kale and carrots, and he just starts eating it for himself. Jim Elliott famously said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Being rich to God, it's a cycle. When we receive God's love, we can love him back. And when we love him, we're loving others. And when we're loving others, we're loving God. It's 2 Corinthians 9.11. It says, you'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. That's the cycle. That's being rich to God. It's entering into the richness of God's love and extending it out to others. A few months ago, we talked about the spiritual practice of generosity. Generosity is the practice of being rich towards God. What can we give the God who owns everything? We give him our love, our gratitude, our worship, our time, our energy. After Jesus told the parable of this rich fool, now naturally the, the disciples, they have some of these normal fears like, okay, what are we going to eat? Getting hungry there. What are we going to wear? And Jesus said this, Luke 12, 32. This is, again, it's not a message saying don't have savings or retirement account. It's not about that. But Jesus says this, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, sell your possessions, give to the needy. And, and I hope you hear the love in this. Do you hear the rich affection and the deep care for your, of, of your father in heaven? It's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That's everything. We can be exceedingly generous because he is richly pouring out his love to us. 
So let's wrap this up. Let's look one more time at the, these images. They ought to be haunting. And remember, this old fool is occupying a room somewhere in your heart, somewhere in your soul. Is he alive and well is the question. Do his whispers drive your life? Do you want more or do you want most? And friends, isn't it time that you evict that old fool? Isn't it time for him to die this day? That Jesus would occupy that room in your life. That you would partner with him in, in managing what's been entrusted to you to bring blessing that you could hardly believe possible. This day. In the parable, the fool's time ran out. But your time hasn't. If you're hearing me right now, it means your time has not run out. There's hope. Like even if you spent all of your life up until this moment just stuffing that barn with grain and with goods or whatever, nicotine gum, I don't care, it doesn't matter. You have time. This day, you have hope. Because God right now is reaching out to you this day with his abundant, rich love. We're going to have a moment of silence now to give you some space to have a personal, quiet conversation with God. There's two parts I want you, I'd like you to have in that conversation. The first part is some kind of confession and naming. It could be, Lord, you know what I crave. You know what I covet. Lord, I, I crave more attention. Lord, I crave being in that inner circle at work. It might be, Lord, I... I don't even know what I'm craving, but I just feel that thing that I want more. The second part of the conversation is this. Lord, help me receive the most that you have for me. Would you occupy that room in my heart that drives my life so that I'm not driven by more, but I'm driven by your love? I'm going to give you some time right now to have that conversation with the Lord. He is listening to you right now. Father, I thank you that you hear every single person, that you deeply love every person. I thank you that we have this day. 
that on this day, we can turn to you and say yes to the fullness of what you have for us. Yes to your leading in our lives. Lord, I know that there are people right now that feel trapped and maybe they've had this conversation with you dozens of times. Would they know there is hope this day? Lord, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. Pull us out and set us free from those cravings for more. Help us enter into the fullness of your goodness and your love. Help us. Lord, help us. I thank you for this moment that on this day, this day, we can say yes to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.